Well, good morning, church. Uh, let, let me just begin today by reminding all of you who are OU fans that Arkansas beat you yesterday. <laughs> and uh, pretty handedly, actually. And uh, just, just want to remind you uh, of that today. Uh, last week, we started a series called Untold Stories of Christmas, and we began reading in Matthew. And we picked up somewhere around verse 16, 18, something like that, and went through the end of chapter 1. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you, uh, and if you're new to our church, I, I also want to encourage you that we approach uh, what, what many churches approach in one sermon, we approach in a series. I, there's no way I can get it all in, in in one. And so you have to stay with us uh, through the course of a series for all of it to come together and for it to make sense. And, and so we turned the corner into chapter two. Uh, last week, if you got your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter two. And we're going to pick up reading uh, where we left off last week in this series called The Untold Stories of Christmas. And uh, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Now, now this is how I, I read this passage. I get to this and I'm like, King Herod, okay? I've heard of King Herod. In fact, I've heard of a lot of King Herod. I've heard of a lot of Herods in, in the Bible. And, and so it ought to take you down an ADD rabbit trail where, where you go down into the, and say, well, who is this Herod, right? Because there are a lot of different Herods uh, in, in the New Testament, several of them, six, I think, uh, six Herods in, in the Bible. Which one is this? And, and this is the one known as Herod the Great. In fact, write that next to that in your Bible. This is Herod the Great, okay? So what made him so great? Well, for one, he brought peace, right? Uh, he, he brought all of these different territories into one country, uh, Judea, and, and he was also an incredible builder. He built roads and buildings. He even rebuilt the temple. If you've ever heard the phrase Herod's temple, this is the guy, okay? This temple that he rebuilt is the same temple that Ezra rebuilt in the Old Testament, but now it has become run down. And Herod thinks, I know what I'll do to make all of these Jews like me. I'll fix their temple. And so he gathered all kinds of money and poured it into that construction project. And soon uh, the temple of Jerusalem was one of the best, if not the best temple in the whole wide world. Uh, in fact, that temple mount that we visit today is on Herod's temple, right? And so you think everyone would like this guy, right? No, that's not the case. They hated him. For, for one thing, he wasn't a Jew. He was simply called the king of the Jews. 40 BC, the Romans, not even the Israelites, gave him the title uh, King of the Jews, right? And he's the only Herod who was ever referred to as the King of the Jews. Now remember that, because that's going to be important in a second. But, but the other reason that people uh, don't like him is because he was a very, very, very cruel man. And you'll see that play out today and in next week's message. So, so don't miss uh, next week. And in fact, speaking of not missing and coming back, let, let me just parentheses for a second. Christmas Eve services, okay? In, in fact, your, the tech team at your campus is going to pull up uh, the service times for your campus right now on the screen. I want you to begin praying right now which one of those you will attend and invite visitors to, and then I want you to plan on serving at all the others at your campus. You say, what are you talking about? Th th what, what I'm talking about is Christmas is for all people. And we need to be involved in inviting all people to Christmas. This morning I woke up, and this is not true every Sunday morning, I'll confess that to you. But this, this morning, uh, my alarm clock went off, and, and immediately the thought that went over my heart and mind is, I get to preach the gospel to thousands of people today. That's what I get to do today. And, and about 10 after 6, I pull into my office, and there's about 40 cars already here. It's pitch black dark outside, and there's 40 cars already here. People on the production team, people on the worship teams are already here. I sit and study on Sunday mornings on, on a chair in my office where I'm looking at a large TV, kind of working through my sermon, and out of my peripheral vision all morning, I watch cars pull up. I watch some families who only have one car, which means somebody had to get up and drive the other family 
family member here and let them out at the door so that they can come in and serve and they go home and get the kids ready. I, I, I watch families walk in with blankets, with, with babies and little kids at 6.30 in the morning, walking in that back door to find a place of service so that this is all ready for you. Let, let me just say, there are hundreds and hundreds of people that do that 52 weeks a year. On Christmas weekend, you can do it. All of you can do it, okay? I, I'm not interested in a weak church. I'm not interested in building a big fat church. I'm interested in building a big strong church full of people that, that are serving the Lord and understand we are a lighthouse put here for such a time as this. And so all the other services, and at BA, that's a lot. You need to serve. You need to be saying hello to somebody in the parking lot. You need to be driving a golf cart. You need to be serving hot chocolate. You need to be welcoming people. And, and so go ahead and start praying about it. And if you're anxious about that, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you right now. Just welcome him. Remember, remember how uh, Samuel told uh, Eli, or yeah, that's the Lord calling. And, and your response just needs to be, here I am. Your servant is, is listening uh, this morning. So attend one, come to all the rest. L let's keep reading. We're not going very fast. We're still in verse one. <clears throat> well, we're not going to go very fast. Magi, let's talk about that for a minute. What, 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 what is Magi? It says they came from the east to Jerusalem. Who, who are the Magi? And we're going to dig deeper into that next week. But, but what you need to know today is that the Magi, you can write this in your Bible, are the kingmakers. That's who the Magi are. When the Magi show up in your town, they're getting ready to anoint a king. Okay, so, so let's keep reading. We're going to finally make it to verse 2. Uh, and, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star uh, when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem uh, with him. Now, why on earth? Okay, now th th this is what, what you should do is, is say, what? Why is King Herod so disturbed? Shouldn't he be happy? This is the news. This is good news. The Messiah has born. This is great news. But, but think about this for a second. The Magi asked a very simple question. And don't make uh, light of all the words in the verse of Scripture. Look, look at this word right here. Who has been, say it, born king of the Jews? That's what frightened Herod. Because he wasn't born king of the Jews, he was appointed king of the Jews. He was made king of the Jews. And if there is another king who has now been born king of the Jews, then he should be the legitimate king, and Herod knows he's out of a job. And here's what I want you to get today. In fact, and I'm going to zero in on it. Put a pin in this Herod thing, and we'll come back to Herod next week and talk about what he did. But what I want you to see uh, today is in this next line uh, that Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now think about that for a second. From what little I've already told you, you know they weren't disturbed with him for the very same reason that he was disturbed. They weren't saying, oh no, Herod may not be our king anymore. They weren't afraid that he might lose his position or his power. They were quite honestly scared of what he would do if he did lose his power. Herod was known as a very cruel man, and he would kill anyone who stood in his way, including his own family. And he did that from time to time. In fact, he had given an order for different soldiers to kill people all throughout the land on the day of his death so that there would be enough and sufficient mourning all over the town on the day of his uh, death. And, and although it seemed like he was good for the city, he was actually very, very bad for the city. And, and, and he might have rebuilt the temple. He might have brought peace uh, to, the, to the city. He might have uh, built a bunch of nice roads and, and, and uh, towns and homes and markets, but he did not care about them. He only cared about himself, his own power, his own position, and his own prestige. Uh, <clears throat> so when it says that the whole city was disturbed, it was because they had been living under this broken regime for so long that they knew what to expect and they knew what was coming. You see, Herod did not serve God. He served the evil world powers. Back in the spiritual warfare series, we talked about this. 
And we said there are spiritual forces of evil at work in our world. And and these are the world powers. They're part of a hierarchy, right, that comes all the way down from Satan to the demonic foot soldiers on on earth today. And and Jerusalem had been a broken city for many, 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 many years. And it started with the fall uh, to the Babylonians. And it continued all the way to the conquest by the Romans. And in between all of that were people guided by evil those who were subject to evil forces of the world, trying to fix a broken city, but actually making it worse. And all the enemies of Jerusalem in that day are the very same enemies we see in our cities today. Poverty and sin and murder and hatred, right? And those aren't new. And quite honestly, the answers to those things are not new either. Uh, Anytime we rely on politics or social programs to fix a broken city, it will fail. Because that's not the one anointed to do those things, right? It's why the city uh, has come to us recently and said, hey, will you participate with us in this Project Warm Shelter and open up churches and and recruit volunteers should the temperature drop, you know, below freezing for a few days in a row so that we keep homeless people alive in our city. The the city is is waking up to the fact we've got to lean on the bride of Christ for these things to be taken care of. It's why we're involved in this Wonderland thing, right? And I'm so proud of you. I announced it at one time and we had 400 volunteers sign up in one afternoon. It's already full. You can't serve this year, but next year you can sign up quickly. (laughs) But every physical problem is a, behind it is a spiritual evil. And the only way to fix a spiritual problem is with a spiritual answer. So what's the answer of God for a broken city? The hope of Jerusalem is the very same thing that disturbed uh, Jerusalem, the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus as the true king of the Jews, that's how Jerusalem would be rescued. And that's how Jerusalem would be redeemed. In fact, the whole world would be redeemed through him. Every city on the whole planet has its hope in him to rescue them from their brokenness. Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus will be the king of the world. And according to this verse, he's born king of the Jews, but he was never accepted as king of the Jews. He never had an inauguration. He never had a coronation. Instead, years later, you read this in Luke 4. In fact, flip over to to Luke 4. Years later, Luke 4, verse 14, it says, after, remember, he's tempted by the devil. And after that temptation, it says, he came home to Nazareth. And there's an interesting phrase on on that uh, verse, home to Nazareth. It's almost, you would miss it if you're just reading over it, which was in Galilee around the sea. This week I was doing a little digging and, and I, I looked at that passage and, and it, my Bible, study Bible, took me back to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is where the prophecy is given 700 years earlier that says, in the future, he will honor Galilee by the sea beyond the Jordan. And now this gospel writer, Luke, is writing this hundreds and hundreds of years later. And, and he's saying, after the temptation, Jesus came home to Nazareth by Galilee, by the sea. Let, 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 let's uh, open that to verse 16, Luke chapter 4. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. Now, you need to know about Nazareth. It, it, when, when Jesus was a boy, Nazareth was about three or four acres. That's my yard. Three or four acres. 15 to 20 families. No more than a hundred people. Now keep that in mind and in context. When Jesus comes around calling people to follow him, you say, well, did they know? Of course they knew who he was. Of course they had encountered him. Of course they had done life with him. They knew what was happening. Now, in fact, he's Nazareth. You remember the conversation? My mind immediately goes to that conversation between Philip and Nathaniel. Remember in John chapter 1 where one of them says to the other, Nazareth? What good can come out of Nazareth? That's like in Oklahoma, we would say Coweta, <laughs> right? What, what good can come of Coweta? By the way, a good football coach who, who, who loves his kids and takes them all to youth camp. By the way, I think they went 10 and 0 th- this year. Congratulations to, 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 to that. But, but that's what's happening in this context. Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth is where he was raised. Th- these are the people, make note of this in your mind, that were most familiar with him and him with them. And to our knowledge, he never returned there after this story. 
Let's keep reading, and I think you'll see why. Look what the Bible says. He, he went as usual. Some of your Bibles say, as was Jesus' custom. He went each week to the synagogue. And you say, well, I don't know that I can make it every week. Jesus did. And can you imagine how boring the rabbi in Nazareth was in Jesus' day? They were uneducated. They, 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 had, they hadn't been to school. They hadn't been to homiletics. They didn't know preaching. And yet Jesus, as his custom, went every single week. If the Son of God felt like he needed to be in the gathering of the people of God every single week, how much more do you and I need to be in that scenario on a weekly basis? He went each week, is what the Bible says, as was his custom, and he stood up to read the Scriptures. Now he's a rabbi coming back home. And as a rabbi, they did the honorable thing, and they let him read uh, the story for the day, right? And in verse 17, the scroll, it wasn't a book, it was a scroll, right? A big scroll. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, right in your margin, Isaiah 61. That's what he's reading is Isaiah 61. And and, and he walked into the synagogue on one Sabbath, one of my favorite places in all of the Holy Land, is to walk into that little uh, synagogue in Nazareth. We we didn't get to do it this last time, but but we've done it on some trips. And and, and a big group of us fills this little rock cave. Did we do it on your trip, Paul? It's amazing, right, to walk into Nazareth and sing the Christmas songs. By the way, a bunch of you are harassing me. We did get the Israel trip for 2024 book, January of 2024. Some of you had to cancel because of COVID January because we moved it to October. We're doing it in January on, uh, I don't know, sometime in January 2024. But he walks into the synagogue, and I love the thought of us sitting in that synagogue and singing Christmas carols and and thinking about Jesus walking in. That's not the exact synagogue, but probably close location, right? We know it's first century. You say, well, what is a synagogue? Because in the Old Testament, you never find a synagogue. There are no synagogues anywhere in the Old Testament. Let me just remind you of the timeline. 586 B.C., the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians. Now they've been dispersed. And and, and there are no priests, there are no sacrifices. So all they can do during this window of time is study. That's when the synagogue was developed. And and in fact, in Hebrew, you say it this way, Beit Knesset. Beit Knesset means the little gathering. That's what a synagogue is, the little gathering. In Greek, Beit Knesset is synagogue. Synagogue is where we get our word synagogue, right? And, and so the synagogue was when, that, when there are no sacrifices, there are no priests, there are no temples, this is where they would gather to teach and where they would study. And, and so when they come back to the land, they kept synagogues. By the way, to this day, they all face Jerusalem. It doesn't matter where they are in the land, they all face back to Jerusalem. And now he's walking into this synagogue and they invite him to speak. He gets up and opens the scroll and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. Let's look at what he says. He he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. Now don't miss this because when, when you go slow enough through the scripture, you'll see it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Do you you see what's happening here? The Trinity. You got the Spirit of the Father is upon me, the Son. He's referencing the the Trinity here, is upon me for he has anointed me. That that word means to pour oil. We talked about it, right? We talked about it last week. It, It means oily one. They would pour oil over the head of kings and priests. In this case, we're talking about Jesus, who is the King of all kings, the high priest of all priests. And in Hebrew, that word anointed is where we get our word Messiah. In fact, the verb is, he, I have been Messiahed. He was Messiah. He was anointed. And this is just like the type of prophecy and announcement that was made when a new king was anointed in in, in Jerusalem. Now, here's what I want you to see here. What, What we see in this passage is not just the second person of the Trinity, but we see a human being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Christ means Messiah. That's what it means. It means the anointed one. This is the incarnation. This is the one who is going to come who will be both fully God and fully man. He's both. He confounded the wise all the time, but he was fully God and he was fully man. Remember the story where he was 12 years old and and they left him at the temple? 
And, and for a few days, they, 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 they wonder where he is. They come back. They find him teaching the wise people, teaching the religious leaders. He's confounding them with the Scriptures. How on earth does a 12-year-old confound them with the Scriptures? He's the author. He's the one of which all Scriptures point to. And he's confounding them with the truth of Scripture. Now, the, the Scripture doesn't record the, the, the dialogue that happened between Jesus and those leaders, but I've made some of it up in my own mind. <laughs> Can you imagine him teaching the Scripture and these old men looking at him going, hey, hey boy, what's your name? To which he said, well, that, that's complicated. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean that's complicated? Well, on my mama's side, my, my name is Jesus. B- but on my daddy's side, my name is Emmanuel. That means God with you. Well, how, how old are you, boy? It's complicated. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean it's complicated? Well, on, on my mama's side, I, I'm 12 years old. But on my daddy's side... I'm before all time. Time exists because I made it exist. Boy, boy, where are you from? <laughs> well, <laughs> on, on, on my mama's side, I'm from Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. I'm the living bread. I was born in a bakery. But on my daddy's side, it's not where I'm from. It's what's from me. Because everything that exists came by me, for me, through me, and, and is for me. Well, where are you going? <laughs> well, on my mama's side, I, I, I'm going to a trial and a cross and a crucifixion, and I'll die and be buried in a grave. But, but on my daddy's side, I, I'm headed to the throne of all thrones, seated next to my father forevermore. Incarnation. What does incarnation mean? It means the one who is fully God came and dwelt in an earth suit. He is the incarnate one. He he was sent to us. Let's keep reading and look what it says. For he has anointed me. What what, what does that mean, he has anointed me? That means he's endowed with some sort of power, right? He he, he is anointed to to do what? To bring good news to the poor. What does that mean? That means salvation, right? He's going to bring, all of us are poor in spirit. It's not necessarily the poor uh, financially. This is the poor in spirit. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. What what, what is he bringing? Not just salvation, but he's going to bring free Freedom, freedom, freedom. The the blind will see. What what is he going to bring? He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring salvation, freedom, and healing. That that, the oppressed, by the way, some of your translations read there, the bruised, that the bruised will be set free. Now, what on earth? Surely you ask a question about the bruised will be set free. What does it mean the bruised will be set free? You have to take the connotation that indicates a bruise can bind you. You say, what are you talking about? A bruise can bind you scripturally and spiritually. Listen to me. Some of you have been wounded by generation after generation. Some of you have been wounded by people on this planet that have skin on. Some of you, all of us have been wounded. That's the truth. But what you will miss if you just read over this quickly is that according to scripture spiritually, a a bruise can bind you, which means you need to be set free. And that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And I've told you this hundreds of times before. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that churches, uh, uh, the bride of Christ across the world is filled with people who have been forgiven but are not yet free. And when you live forgiven but not yet free, you are living beneath the privilege that is yours as a child of God. And, And at that time, the Lord's favor or that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. I read that as he dropped the mic. (laughs) All the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. And look what it says. And then he began to speak. Now, this is different than in our culture, right? That he stood up to read. This is where uh, when some of us were children, it would be, hey, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, right? That means this is the Word of God and then sit down. Now I'm going to talk to you. 
as the preacher. That's what's happening. Now he's sitting down. When a Jew had something important to say, they would sit down, right? They would stand for the Scripture, and, and, and then they're going to say something important, they would sit down. This, has, this he began to speak to them. The Scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled uh, this very day. Has been fulfilled is the verb phrase here. This is perfect in the, in the Greek. Okay, write that in your Bible. I've taught you that before. That perfect means it was fulfilled, is fulfilled, will be fulfilled. That's what the Greek perfect tense means. It's not one and done. It means it was done, it is being done, and it will be done. And now let me call your attention to something else in, in, in this text. Uh, the, the, remember it said, and the day of the Lord's favor has come. The, the thing I want to call your attention to is the difference between a comma and a period. The same thing's true in the Greek as it is in the English. Let me, let me give you one a, a example. You see how big of a deal that is? To which all of the English teachers are like, amen. Pay attention. This is important. It's important when you read Scripture to pay attention to the grammar. It's important to pay attention to the punctuation. And when you see the passage, this is what my brain did, right? It says, Jesus opened the scroll, and, it, and my margins told me Isaiah 61. Well, you can't just stay there. Surely you would go back and look at Isaiah 61. And now I'm reading Isaiah 61 alongside Luke chapter 4, and what you see is that Jesus put a period where Isaiah put a comma. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Why did Jesus put a period where Isaiah, the prophet who is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put, put a uh, comma? In fact, go back and look at it. This is Isaiah 61.3. Now, let me just help you remember. This is Luke chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 2, and, and it is Isaiah 61, verse 3. Okay? Are you following? No, verse 19 in Luke 4. Let me say it that way. L Luke 4.19 Isaiah 61, 3. You follow? Do I need to say it again? Because I'm confused. <laughs> it's Luke chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus is quoting this and reading it, okay? But he's reading from Isaiah 61. And when you go back and look at Isaiah 61, verse 3, here's what you see. That word for word at the beginning, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus puts a period there. But Isaiah didn't put a period there. In fact, he didn't just put a comma. He said, and with it, the day of God's anger against our enemies. What is this about? There's two comings of Jesus in Scripture. The, the, the first coming is the first coming of Jesus. That's brought the age of grace. There's another coming of Jesus coming. And with it is not going to be the age of grace. It is going to be the day of judgment. And it is not yet. It has not come yet. You and I were saved in the comma. The church age, the modern church age happens in the comma. This is where Jesus stopped. But you got to know the prophecy continues. And just because Jesus stopped reading does not mean that the promise ends. In fact, that last part, God's anger against the enemies, our enemies, that part, Jesus did not read it, but it is something he secured for us. We, we do have victory over our spiritual enemies through the cross of Jesus. Jesus, when he said that, was declaring that he was king. He was staking his claim as the prince of peace over all of the world. And his mission statement was clear. The poor will be rich in God. The captives will be set free in God. The blind will see in God. The lame will walk in God. All oppression, spiritual, physical, economic, and social will cease. And it's all because Jesus Christ is king. And and by the way, Luke tells us he did all those things. The one who's given this in Luke chapter 4 and throughout his gospel makes it clear that Jesus did every single one of those things. Now look at verse 22, back to uh, Luke. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. In other words, they loved it at this point in the sermon. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing of this. They all knew, by the way, this is a messianic passage. Isaiah 61. They all knew this is a picture of the coming Messiah. They all knew this is about the Savior and when he is coming. And, and, and then they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, uh, how can this be? Is this not Joseph's son? 
Didn't that kid build our table? How can this be? Now they're ticked. Familiarity breeds contempt. Isn't this Joseph's son? Which if you were here last week, you know the answer to that is no. Do you, do you remember that, right? It's actually not Joseph's son. Do you remember Joseph, no, Holy Spirit, yes? Go watch last week's message if you weren't here. But, but let me show you an ADD rabbit trail that I took down the Bible uh, th- this last week. In fact, you're in Luke chapter 4. Back up one chapter to Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. Okay? Now, this trail I took, I just want to take you down it. Those of you who are ADD are going to thank me later. Those of you who are not, just stay with me. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son. Now, look at this. So it was thought of Joseph. Some of your Bibles read it as being supposed as the son of Joseph. Well, if Joseph is not the biological dad of Jesus, then who is? Okay, go back one verse from Luke chapter 3.23 to 3.22. Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him. By the way, Trinity in this passage too. All three of them appear. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and the voice of God came from heaven saying, look at it, underline it, you are my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. You say, where are you going? Go back one more chapter. I'm going to show you. Go go back one more chapter uh, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Why were you searching for me? I referenced this a moment ago. This is when they left him at the temple at 12 years old. They come back and they find him and they're like, what boy, what, what are you doing? You're supposed to be with us, remember? And look at what he says to them. Didn't you know I had to be in my, say it, Father's house. Now, I'm not done with the rabbit trail. Go, go back one more uh, chapter to Luke chapter 1. The angel appeared. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called, say it, the Son of God. You, you say, what's the point? Here, here's the point. The point is do not reduce Jesus to ordinary. Do not reduce Jesus to ordinary or as an ordinary man. No ordinary man can die and atone for your sins. No ordinary man can rise from the dead and save you. Jesus was no ordinary man, but, but the people didn't believe him. In fact, go back to where we were a minute ago, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote to me this proverb. Apparently, there was a proverb of the day that said, physician, heal yourself. And Jesus said, you're about to ask me to quote that. Do, do, do you do the miracles that you did in your hometown uh, like you did in Capernaum? Say, so what's that about? Jesus is looking at them going, you want me to perform for you. And I will not. But I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Make no mistake about that. Jesus keeps going, and now he starts telling stories. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. He gives two examples, one from Elijah, one from Elisha. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land. You see what Jesus is doing? There was a famine. Three and a half years, people are dying. There are lots of widows, and and, and he didn't go to any of them. Elijah didn't go to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, the widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Sidon is Phoenicia. Sidon is modern-day Lebanon. It's outside of Israel. He keeps going with a whole other example. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, now the people, we read this earlier... furious. And inquiring minds want to know, why? Why are those so ticked off at, at, at those two little stories that he told? Now, if, if, if you do a little digging, or if you don't do a little digging, you'll totally miss the fact that what Jesus was talking about in the Old Testament days was that God went outside the land of Israel with the good news. 
That's the point. In both examples, the Israelites rejected God, and so God went beyond them with the good news message. And what Jesus is saying right now is that is what's happening here. It's happening again. You saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Is that happening all over again? The point is that Christmas or the coming of the Christ, the coming of Jesus is about all people. That's the reason you and I who understand the scriptures cannot skate through Christmas like everybody else. We have to use this window of opportunity to invite all people to to the place where they can hear the gospel. That's what this is about. I, I think he's saying, hey, be careful. Don't write people off. When it comes to the gospel, you don't ever write anyone off. God can save anybody. Why? Because Jesus died for all that all may be saved. He came for all people. Romans 11 says it this way, that you and I were not Jewish. We were outside of the chosen ones, but we were grafted into the family. In other words, he didn't come for just those who were born in the family, but for us, those of us who were on the outside looking in. In John 8, Jesus is arguing and debating with the religious leaders about who really are the true sons of Abraham. And Jesus tells them, the ones that are the true sons of Abraham are the ones who believe in me. By the way, Paul confesses that later in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. And he says, the true sons of Abraham are those who confess Christ. So you got the natural and the artificial. Which begs the question in my mind, how many of you have natural trees in, in your home? And how many of you have artificial? How many went and bought a live uh, tree? I am so disappointed in our church. <laughs> like six of you? How many of you have the artificial one you, you, you drag out of the attic? How many of you have cussed the artificial one that was pre-lit and, and they don't all still <laughs> light, light, light up? It's a big debate in our house for years and years and years, okay? And, and we go cut one down because that's what Jesus would have done. <laughs> but, but how many of you remember the old style? How many of you remember the, the old style from, from when we were kids? Remember that thing? And it was all these branches, and they were letter, lettered, and they were not even lettered alphabetically, right? But, but, but like the L's went at the bottom, and then the A's went in the middle, and then the F's went here. For some reason, the, the people were illiterate who, who designed this whole thing. But, but you would take these branches, and you would stick them into the, the trunk, right? That's the picture I think of when I think of Romans 11, that those of us who were not Jewish were grafted in. We had to be grafted into the trunk and into the tree. But those who are family, they need to be reached too. And somehow those are the ones that are the most difficult to reach. You say, what's the point? Here's the point. At Christmas time, people are concerned about their family. Not just who's coming in and when and how long are they going to stay, but, but, but not just making sure, you know, that nobody and none of the kids talk about that as to offend everybody in in, in the room. Those of you who, who are nervous, right, about asking sister to come to church with you when you are extremely gifted at asking everybody at work to, to, to come with you, but now you're nervous about asking sister. But, but it's not just about, you know, when, who's coming or who's nuts coming. It's, it's their hearts, right, making sure mama is okay since dad passed away. You say, what is your point, Alex, on, on all of this? Here, here's my point. What we see in this story in Luke chapter 4 is that the hardest people to influence are those we know the best and know us the best. And here's the good news for you today. That's true even when you're Jesus. And you have no faults. And you have no flaws. So if what is breaking your heart this Christmas, if what is on your mind this Christmas season is the knowledge that you have loved ones who don't know God, you're in really good company. And of course, I would say to you, we never give up. We never write off somebody when it comes to the gospel. But perhaps the lesson is that we need to use prayer like a wartime walkie-talkie, asking the Father to send troops. The Bible word is prophets to our family and our friends.
Neil Anderson says it this way. You'll love this, Vic. Neil Anderson says it this way. What, what you don't see modeled in Scripture, he's not saying it's not biblical. He's just saying what you don't see modeled in Scripture is Christians getting on their knees praying for God to bring people to himself. What you don't see modeled in Scripture is Christians asking God to soften the hearts of unbelievers and make them receptive to the gospel. What you do see all over the Bible is the people of God asking God to send others, prophets, to reach those who are lost, to tell them the truth uh, about Jesus. And we need to pray that God will put people in the path of our family. And here's the amazing truth. Maybe you can reach my family better than I can reach my family. And maybe I can reach your family better than you can reach your family, right? And and you need to understand that to be true. That's why the Bible talks about how beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet that are carrying the good news. Now, what if that is true? And it is. What if that became our prayer? And, And so that if that's you, and you're concerned about your family this Christmas, would you pray for God to send prophets into your family's lives who will come alongside you and agree with you, perhaps, probably, in a more effective way than you and I could possibly do in sharing it with our loved ones. I polled staff this week, about 30 of them, 100% of the 30 staff members that I talked to said God uses them to reach people all the time. But 100% of them have somebody within their family they have been extremely ineffective in reaching. And if that's true for the ministers of the gospel, that's true for you, right? If that's true for Jesus... That's true for you. We went down a rabbit trail on on, on that because there's one Bible passage that lists several brothers of Jesus. We we really only know of a couple. But there are others named. We don't know what happened to them. Now, here's where I want to leave you today. How hypocritical would it be for you to pray that prayer for your family and your loved ones and not be willing at the same time to be the answer to that prayer for somebody else's family and loved ones. So as we pray to God to put people in the path of our family, let's also pray that God would put us in the path of their loved ones. Let's get real practical about this and put shoes on on, on this today. If Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, found his messianic mission statement in Scripture. How much more important is is it for us to find our mission statement in the Scriptures? And and that mission statement, written in plain English and, and slang English, is everyone needs a place in the church and a purpose in the world. The church is the bride of Christ, guys. It is the bride of Christ. It is still the instrument used by God for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries to bring people to Christ. So so when those people are successful in bringing their loved ones and their family to church, we need to be here to love on them. We need to make sure they feel welcomed and they feel taken care of, right? In fact, let, let's just do it. I asked you to pray about it about 20 minutes ago. Some of you would say that was 45 minutes ago. But, but I asked you to pray about it. Throw, throw the service times back up for every campus. And as you began praying about which one you will attend, by the way, attend anyone that you have a guest coming with you to. But then all the others you need, you need to serve. This week, this week, while this is what's on my heart, I I heard a story about one of our people who kept inviting their loved one to come to church, come to church, come to church, and they kept saying, no, 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 no. But then that same loved one who rejected the invitation from their family went to visit one of our doctors for a medical visit. And in the medical visit, the doctor told them that he goes to Battle Creek Church and invited them to come along. And now the response was, everybody I've met at Battle Creek Church is so kind. I think I'll come. 
Do, do you see the point? That happens around here every week, guys. I, I, I've used this illustration for 19 years, but, but it still happens every single weekend. Do you know that for the last several weeks, there are ladies in our church who've been praying that their husband would finally say okay and come to church with them? Do, do you know that last night that, that one of those men at one of our campuses said to his wife, okay, I'll go tomorrow. And you know, she ended up in a frenzy last night, ironing all of the kids' clothes because she doesn't want something to get in the way or delay this scenario. Cracking the eggs and putting them in the bowl and putting them in the refrigerator so, so that she wouldn't even have to take time to crack them this morning, but she could just, you know, scramble them and, and get the breakfast ready for the kids so that nothing would create an off-ramp for her husband to say, I, I don't think we have time and I don't think we'll go. And, and as she was exiting uh, uh, one of the interstates to one of our campuses and is making the turn, she's praying, dear Jesus, let there be people in the parking lot. Let there be people smiling at the entrances. Let some idiot be holding a sign and jumping around like they work at a car wash. Let As we pull in to, to that church, could we find a parking spot? Could those people not have taken the guest parking, but have left it for a guest? And as we walk in and I hand Sally off, our little baby girl, to that worker. God, please don't let her cry when I hand this baby off. Let her smile and let her thank God for the people who are going to watch her because my husband will say, I'll hold the baby and I'll stand out in the hallway. You go to church and he'll rock her out in the hallway and miss the whole service. Oh God, let there be workers in the elementary department. When we take Tommy to drop him off, let that classroom not be closed for lack of workers. Let there be enough workers so that he will go in and have a great time. Father, let that guy be there who's going to give that boy a high five as he walks in. Let my husband see what's happening when he walks through this door, that my boy loves the people who teach him the word of God. And when we get in that worship center, God, please let the worship team be on. And the sound people, depending on how old you are, Lord, let them turn it up or Lord, let them turn it down. Whatever the prayer happens to be about who you're bringing. And God, when Alex stands up to preach, please let it be one of those days where he can figure out what it is he's saying. And we laugh about that. But it happens every week at every campus that we have. And I want you to imagine that man that is being prayed for and finally agreed to visit is your son-in-law. Is your grandson? Is your son? It happens every single week. So, will you take steps this week to make sure that this Christmas season you, you have a place of service in your church home? And will you use this holiday season strategically in your primary purpose out there in the world to point people to Jesus Christ? I, I, I want to go old school, even in a big church, and make this feel like a small church. At every campus, would you just stand up across the campuses? And here's what I want to ask you to do as a faith family. I'm going to ask you to join hands, if you would. In fact, across the aisles, if you would. If you're single and you're sitting next to that one, you're welcome. <laughs> would you just begin praying? Let me say this to you before we pray. I know statistically the chances of the person you're holding hands with being the person that you will impact their loved one is very small. But when you take what's happening right here and multiply it across six campuses across the city, in fact, across the world, and thousands and thousands of people are joining in this prayer, the chances just went up significantly. But in your own words, would you just pray right now? for that family member that you have and pray God would put prophets in the path 
of that sister, of that mom, of that dad, of that grandson, of those people that you love and are concerned about this Christmas. Just begin praying right now across all of our campuses. In your own way, in your own words, God, would you bring somebody who knows you into the path of that one I love and that one I care about, that one I've not been effective in reaching. Could you just know from my perspective, there's tears all over this room right now? Because it strikes a chord with people when they pray for their loved ones. And would you now turn the corner in some way and pray, God, here I am, send me. Somewhere on the planet, there's somebody praying for a loved one that I will have contact with. And because a prophet's without honor in his hometown, I may have honor in the life of that person. In fact, pray it. Give me honor in the life of that person. Give me an audience in the life of that person. Make me respectable in the life of that person. And let me use my words to point them to Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this faith family. I I, I thank you that it's filled with thousands of men and women, boys and girls, who want to be on mission with you. And so, God, we pray this season you would actually commission us, that we would feel sent. In fact, that we would feel shot out of a gun into this world with the good news. Father, I pray over your church today that you would help them to know and understand Right now in this moment, you and all of heaven are giddy over them. That you are gathering angelic beings in heaven right now saying, look, 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 look at my kids. Look at my kids. Look at my kids. I'm about to use them. I'm about to use them. I'm about to use them. Father, could we receive the calling on our lives to have a place in your church and a purpose in this world that we, like David, may serve the purposes of God in our generation and and then die and spend all of eternity with you. I pray you'd set us on fire with the gospel. In in Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen. Would you thank the Lord today uh, for ministering to us from his word?